Mark Cuban. How you do anything is how you do everything. If you're not, if you don't pay attention to detail on the little things, you're not going to be in the habits of paying attention to detail for the big things. Ken Griffey Jr. Hey, he wears his hat backwards. Well, I wear my hat backwards because my dad had a fro and I wanted to wear his hat. And if I put his hat on at age six and, you know, he's got a eight and a half and I got like a little five, it's not going to really stay on my head. Jeannie Buss. Thank you for having me. What a nice turnout. It's good to see everybody. John Smoltz. If you don't have the imagination and the willingness to fail or not being afraid to fail, I don't think you can be truly great. Candace Parker. I have had so much hope for this generation coming up that have grown up with women in sports, in leadership roles, on television, speaking about sports, speaking knowledgeably about sports. Pau Gasol. To me, all the work that I've done, all the humanitarian work that I've done has always given me great perspective, has allowed me to keep my feet on the ground and uh, has really put and reminded me what's truly important. Damian Lillard. That was for Seattle. (laughs) (laughs) Just to name a few. Welcome to Sports Business Radio. Now, here's Brian Berger. Well, thanks for joining us on this edition of Sports Business Radio, powered by Malka Sports. You can learn more about them at M-A-L-K-A-Sports.com. Brian Grant, 12-year NBA veteran and Parkinson's advocate, and Rick Buecher, author with Brian Grant of the new book, Rebound, Soaring in the NBA, Battling Parkinson's, and Finding What Really Matters. They join me on this week's edition of Sports Business Radio. Brian and Rick are very close friends of mine. The first conversations for Brian's book actually took place at my house a couple of years ago. I was Brian's publicist and business manager for more than a decade when he played for the Sacramento Kings, the Portland Trailblazers, Miami Heat, Los Angeles Lakers, and Phoenix Suns. Brian was diagnosed with young onset Parkinson's disease soon after he retired from the NBA. He and I met Muhammad Ali. Michael J. Fox, and other Parkinson's advocates as Brian shifted the focus of the Brian Grant Foundation to assist those living with Parkinson's. You can learn more about Brian's foundation, which is doing great things to help the Parkinson's community at briangrant.org. Brian has such a great story. He grew up in tiny Georgetown, Ohio, and really could have been stuck there his entire life, but he was offered a chance to play college basketball at Xavier University in Cincinnati. He parlayed that into being drafted as a lottery pick by the NBA Sacramento Kings. He went on to have a successful NBA career, had notable battles with the likes of Carl Malone and Shaquille O'Neal. Brian's book is really honest and forthcoming. It addresses his flaws, the same flaws that we all have. So I'm really proud that Brian and Rick worked on this book together and uh, we're three close friends and I think you'll enjoy the conversation on today's edition of Sports Business Radio. Also, the Power Up, Power Player of the Week, Power Up Premium Trail Mix. Alex Smith, he retired this week from the NFL. He was drafted by the San Francisco 49ers in 2005. He won the NFL's Comeback Player of the Year last year for coming back from a gruesome leg injury. A lot of people thought he might lose his leg or never walk again. Not only did he do that, but he led the Washington football team to the playoffs. Alex Smith is our Power Up Premium Trail Mix Power Player of the Week. This segment of Sports Business Radio is brought to you by Power Up Premium Trail Mix. 
Forget the stale trail mixes with peanuts, raisins, and junk candy. Power Up is a trail mix brand that specially curates their mixes fresh with good-for-you quality ingredients that power you up with nutrients your body needs and flavors your taste buds crave. These premium trail mixes come in several varieties and can be eaten on the go wherever the day takes you. Fuel up like sports icons Lindsey Horan and the Washington Capitals. And find Power Up Nationwide at retailers, on Amazon, and at PowerUpSnacks.com. My guests are Brian Grant, a 12-year MBA vet, founder of the Brian Grant Foundation. You can find more about the Brian Grant Foundation at BrianGrant.org. Also, Rick Buecher, MBA analyst for SF1, and also author of the book, Rebound, which is Brian Grant's life story, Rebound, Soaring in the NBA, Battling Parkinson's and Finding What Really Matters. It can be purchased at Amazon.com and bookstores everywhere. These guys are two good friends of mine. This has been a, a long project. It's finally come to fruition. How are you guys? Oh, I'm doing good. I, I mean, I look like uh, I could be the sun the way it's beaming off my face right now. But <laughs> it was the thing. these are the types, types of things you do for good, good friends of yours like I am with you. You're a very good friend. I'll burn up in a car. It doesn't matter, <laughs> my guy. Thank you. I'm just glad that I'm just glad that the book is out and it's doing well. After Brian uh, introduced it as being uh, called Power Forward and not you don't Rebound. Have proof of that. On, Rick, you don't have on, proof of that. Yeah, it's on Twitter. I think. I think you're right. I saw that. You can't People even went get right the book by it. They right. just they they didn't they it it didn't bother them, and I'm I'm grateful. Power Forward actually, I think, was one of the titles we talked about at one point brian bg suggested it and i think this was his backhanded way of uh, of still introducing it to people and finding out whether it would have been a better better title <laughs> you, you you won out on it because when i said it only you recognized it i think yeah all anyway. right so before we get started let's let our audience know how we know each other because this is different than a typical guest that i may have on sports business radio Brian Grant and I worked together for, what, 11 years, 12 years. I was his publicist. I was his business manager. I met him when he was playing for the Blazers. I consider him like a brother. Uh, we're very, very close. Rick Buecher, I also consider like a brother. Uh, I've known him for a long time. We're business partners now. So to see the two of you work together on this book was really great for me. I think the book turned out amazing. Brian, let's start with you. Why was now the time to write the book? Uh, it, it was time. Um, really, it was that I had the courage to tell the whole story because I, I always knew I wanted to tell my story because I think it's an interesting one coming from where I came from, overcoming some obstacles and making it to where I made it to. But in order to really tell the story, I needed to be able to tell it the complete story. And I was never really comfortable with that until this year. What changed? Why did you become more comfortable with it? I think it was just all the things that were going on in the world. You know, um, we hadn't hit COVID or anything like that yet, but I was, you know, going in and out of relationships, uh, was having some issues, parenting, things like that. And then it was just like, you know, it's time to kind of let some of this go. It's time to try to put something out there that, that would be not only good for other people, but good for myself as far as healing. So that do, makes sense. Yeah. Do you feel like the book was in a way therapeutic for you? 
it was very therapeutic. And, you know, as we continued to work on it, Rick and I, I mean, he started bringing up things that I didn't even notice or know that I was saying or, or read it back to me. I was like, huh, you know, you're right. This is very healing. This is something that's needed to happen for years. Rick, you wrote Yao Ming's book. This is a very different book. When Brian came to you and said, I want you to write my book, what went through your mind? Well, I've been, I don't know if you know this, BG, but I've been approached by a a number of um, athletes and people who wanted to write a book and wanted me to help them write it. And I never wanted to just write a book to write a book or to, you know, because I could put my name on another title or do it for the money or whatever. I always felt like I had to have a passion for what I was writing about and what the subject was and that it was an important story. And I certainly felt that the connection with Brian, with, with BG's story and, and Yao's is that I felt both were, were important and they were unique. Uh, but to get to the you know, so so initially reading about Michael J. Fox, um, reading his book about having Parkinson's and uh, and then thinking of and then hearing bits and pieces of what Brian uh, had been through aside from Parkinson's, his career, um, you know, opioid addiction, all sorts of uh, uh, elements. I was like, this is a story that should be told. And. Uh, that needs to be told and that that people are going to get a lot of value out of out of reading it. And then it was just a matter of BG and I coming to the point where we were going to tell an honest version of that story where I felt like I'm not, you know, I'm not being party to telling a version of of, of BG's life or a, a, a palatable or kind of camouflaged version that we were, we were going to do the real, the real thing. And it took a lot of courage uh, on, on BG's part and, and, and a lot of trust in me that, you know, some of the things that we delved into that there was a reason behind uh, telling those stories. And so I'm really, I'm grateful to hear that, uh, that BG feels like, like we did, we did it, his story justice, and we we honored uh, everything that uh, that he was hoping to accomplish. I want to back up. I want to go back several years. I remember a breakfast with Brian Grant at Cafe Dewberry in Portland, and it was just the two of us. And it was the first time that he told me that he had Parkinson's. And I remember you were getting ready, BG, to do uh, a halftime, half-court thing with Jerome Kersey and a few others, and you were worried about your tremor. And we talked about the fact that either someone else could write your story or you could take the narrative and do the story. So one of the things we talked about was having Rick, when he was with ESPN, come to Portland, sit in your living room, and you did an interview with Rick that was on sports center. And that was kind of when you told the world that, that you had Parkinson's. So I felt like from afar, that was like the first time you guys really built a trust. You know, Brian was sharing with Rick something very personal in his living room. And, and that's why I thought if you fast forward later, I thought Rick was the per- perfect person to write the book. No, I mean, when I, announced that I had Parkinson's and, you know, I thought of Rick because I, I knew his work and 
I knew him from, you know, games commentating and things like that. But when he came to the house and I really got a chance to, to, to get to really know him, I was glad that I made the decision that I made as far as him telling the world that I had Parkinson's. He was with the kids and myself all day. Uh, his film crew was there all day. It wasn't as though he was pushing for this or that. He really wanted to know how I wanted it done. And once I did that, he, he put his touch on it and, and put it out there the right way. And once I knew that, you know, he was he was a writer and author, too, I, I kind of knew what I, I was interviewing other people. And then you brought his name up. And I just thought, this is please let this be a, a good fit again. And as soon as we talked, I, I knew it right away that you'd be able to tell my story. And it wasn't like, you know, the first draft was, was the only draft. I mean, we had differences on certain things. Certain things I started to get cold feet on again, and you'd be like, hey, man, you know, it's your story, it's your truth. And that part of it, I don't think anybody else would have been able to do to me. I'd have been like, no, change. And, you know, he made me look at it from a holistic side of it, how it's not only going to help me, but help others as well. Rick, what was that like for you, having to push back a little bit on tell the whole story (laughs) and – I know there are some things here that that may not be comfortable, but we need to tell the whole story. Yeah. I mean, it's, it is, it's not an easy thing to do uh, because I, I didn't want to tell pieces of the story just for it to be salacious. And I will say, I'll say this, you know, I initially came into it and, um, and we first talked about addiction and recovery and all of that. And, and I thought at one point that that was like telling that whole story was going to be a really important part of, of the book. And we went back and forth on that. And, um, and Brian got to a point where he was willing to tell that story. But as I learned more and more about him and the story, it kind of receded. And it was really just kind of one of those points where um, it was, it was a test of our trust and our willingness to work together to tell the story in the most useful, beneficial way, as opposed to the, the drama of, uh, of, of Brian's life. And so, you know, I, I constantly had to double check. Am I like, am I just like, am I asking Brian to tell this part of the story because it is captivating for me or, um, and, and to me, it couldn't be just that. It couldn't be just because it was salacious or it was captivating. It was like, but is it meaningful to tell this? And so it's, it's been really interesting to do this because this was, as, as Brian said, it's like kind of a living document and things were evolving in both of our lives as we went about writing the book. And so it sometimes it felt kind of like a moving target. Um, and, but I, you know, I mean, I, um, you know, it's been interesting because I've, I've had, um, I've had a few uh, health scares myself. Uh, uh, of late, and uh, and I can t- I can say firsthand that Brian's story and what I learned about being on the inside of that, like 
I've found myself in some very similar positions. And, uh, and so the thought process that he went through and his willingness to talk about that and share it with others and that constant like battle of living in the present uh, and not dismissing what you're dealing with and feeling your mortality. Like I've felt all of that. Uh, recently, and it it only underscored how powerful his story is, and and how meaningful I believe it it can be to people out there. Because you know, in some ways, it's unique, and in some ways, it's it's part of life that everybody deals with. One of the things that evolved while you were writing this book, and I think it was really important, is Rick. You went home to Brian to his home in Georgetown, Ohio. And you had the opportunity to meet his dad who passed about a year ago. How important was it to go home with Brian to Georgetown to meet Tommy Grant and to see the family and see where Brian came from if you're writing a story? Yeah, uh, I mean, it was, it was enormous. I, I felt like I had a certain kinship with Brian because I grew up in Cincinnati. But let me tell you, man. Georgetown is different from Cincinnati. I, I, <laughs> like, I know Ohio and I knew places like Georgetown existed, but there's something about going there and feeling like a friend of mine would always refer to uh, the, the area as Cincinnati. Um, and, and Georgetown is Cincinnati, man. I mean, it is like, you got the Ohio river between Ohio and Kentucky, but there is a lot of Kentucky in that part of Ohio. And, um, so it was, it was having that reference and really having a sense of just how remote, um, that place is that BG came from. And then and then seeing the family and experience of the family. And it also gave me the confidence to say, when we're going to talk about your family, I've met these people. I've, I've broken bread with these people. Um, I, I, I can't say I know them all, but it gave me a vibe for the family that I was like, dude, we gotta, we gotta tell this because this is part of, this is part of your makeup. Um, it's part of who you are and it's part of, what informed you going forward. Um, and I had been, and Brian can speak to this, but I felt like it gave me the license to say, no, you need to tell this because it explains why you made some of the decisions that you made. It explains how you behaved the way you did in certain, at certain points in your life. Uh, and it certainly explained that to me. And I just, I found that incredibly valuable in being able to convince BG that he should like tell this because now it, I, I just believe nobody does anything. Everybody does things for a reason. They have a rationale, right? It makes sense to them. Even from the outside, if we look at it and go, dude, I don't know, that probably wasn't a good idea. Um, and I felt there was a lot of that. Like if you knew where BG came from, if you knew how he grew up, if you knew all that, it, it explained so much of what he did as we saw him step onto the big stage. And now nationally, everybody is, is seeing who he is. B 
BG, I've been home with you too to Georgetown. And right. one of my first takeaways when I came home was, man, just to make it out of Georgetown is an accomplishment. And that's no offense against Georgetown, but to get to Xavier and then to get to be a lottery pick in the NBA, to get to have a 12-year career, to start a foundation that helps people with Parkinson's. Like, it's really an amazing list of accomplishments for you because honestly, a lot of people wouldn't have made it out of little tiny Georgetown. So when you were growing up, were there days where you were like, I may not, I may never make it out of here. I may be in Georgetown my whole life. There were very few days when I thought that I would make it out. I mean, most of the days were spent saying, Oh my God, okay. When I graduate, maybe I can go work at Ortner's, which was a, railroad box box car repair shop in Mount Orb, or I can go and work at Mac Tools with my mom, who's got almost 15, 20 years in, and I can get a floor job and maybe I can do 20 years. There was no dreaming. I mean, actually, if you did dream, that's all it was, because it's not like today. Like my kids can be like, man, I really wonder what it's like to be in England, in London or Manchester, and they can go on a, on a webcam over there and, and actually see people walking around in, in, in London or Manchester or somewhere in Spain. But for us, there was no internet. There was, you know, we were just starting to get the touch, touch telephones, you know, call waiting was something that was huge for us because now we didn't have to miss calls. But, you know, when you dreamed back then, you really dreamed. And so to make it to me was to get out of Georgetown and get to Cincinnati and be in the city. And like, Oh, you know, there'll be opportunities there, but I, I didn't dream beyond that because first of all, there was nobody around me doing that. I had no family members that had done it that I could say, well, they did it. So maybe I can do it. And most of the time it was people telling me what I couldn't do. So to make it out of Georgetown, it was, it was something. And, you know, to bring the two of you back there, especially right when we went to the basketball court where I played at, you know, I just looked at your face and you were like, it's like you were imagining all those stories I was telling you. You could see them happening on the court. And I was like, see, it's like boxed in. Now imagine all of this parking lot's full of cars, people surrounding the, the, the fence. They want to see, is Brian going to dunk it today? So when did you start to think that maybe your dreams could come true and that you could get out of Georgetown? Well, it definitely didn't start when I got the opportunity to play my senior year. It, it, it it started to turn for me probably halfway between the basketball season because I started getting letters from colleges like Wilmington College, which is an NAIA. I had a cousin going to school there, and I went down to visit her, and I thought, my God, I, I might be able to go to Wilmington College. But I still would have had to pay like four four grand to go, which my parents couldn't pay. And then as we kept going, after Xavier came up and Dino Gaudio made the comment, not to let anybody else see me, I was thinking, like, is this serious? You know, the Xavier Musketeers that beat the Georgetown Hoyas, you know, they're, they're actually looking at me. And when that happened, that's when I, I got excited. I started to be like, oh, my God, you know, I might be able to make it. So I definitely didn't want to get in trouble. I wanted to keep playing basketball as hard as I could. And then when we didn't make the turn, we made the tournament and got beaten districts. 
you know, Pete Gillen walks in the locker room and offers me the scholarship, and I accept it right on, right, right there. Yes, give it to me. I take it. <laughs> I'm, I'm yours. That's when a dream became a reality. Literally, Rick. When is the first time that you ever heard of Brian Grant? The first time I ever heard him. The first time you ever heard of Brian Grant. Did you ever hear of him when he was at Xavier? Did you not hear about him until he got to the Kings and was drafted in the NBA? When's the yeah, first no, time? It was, yeah, when he was. When he was drafted, that was when he, you know, and then I heard about him and he was like this guy that no one really knew about. Kind of fit the profile of the Midwest, though, this hardworking, rebounding, kind of no-name power forward. I mean, he was perfect. Like, I was thinking, <laughs> of course he's from, of course he's from Ohio. Of course he's from Xavier. Like, that's, you know, Tyrone Hill. Like, he was in that that model of kind of no-frills, just work hard overachiever types. And so that was, yeah, that was, that was the, uh, that was the beginning of, uh, of when I heard, uh, I heard about Brian, I will say this, you know, talking about him getting out of Georgetown reminded me my, my colleague on FS1, Marcellus Wiley was just talking the other day about uh, meeting with his therapist and always worrying about you know, what's next and how do I achieve the next thing? And am I accomplishing what I'm supposed to accomplish? And his therapist said to him, he said, Marcellus, you've won. Like when you, he's from Compton and, and ended up going to Columbia and, you know, with all these accomplished and played in the NFL, he said, you've won. Like you've already exceeded all expectation. You're, you're on the great, whatever you do from here, this is gravy. You defied all expectations. You already broke the mold. And I feel like Brian's in that same, same camp and almost probably faces the same thing, wondering, you know, how, what am I, have I, you know, what's left or what do I have to do next? Or what's the next mountain to climb? And not always recognizing all the mountains in the back, in the rear view mirror that have, that have already been, you know, those summits have already been reached. And I thought it was a really good reminder of, for all of us, honestly, like for all of us being here right now, thinking about what we're doing, doing this podcast about, uh, about BG's book on, on your podcast, uh, Brian. And like, we're, we're in a pretty good spot. I'd say we all in our own ways have defied, expectations one way or the other I agree with you I tell Brian Grant all the time you know whether it's the impact he has on someone who has Parkinson's who walks up to him and and talks to him or what he did in the community for so many years that he played the NBA he was Jay Walter Kennedy citizenship award winner I don't think he's ever really stopped to recognize his impact BG would you say you're still kind of in that place that you don't think you've won or you haven't stopped to really think about what you've accomplished? I think from time to time I stop and I think about it, but you know, I, I kind of always feel like the work isn't done. Like there's something more, you know, and I don't mean more for me, like to benefit me, but more to benefit whoever, you know, whether it be charity work, whether it be, Hooking back up with you, like if you'd have told me that me and Rick were going to be hooking up again and doing a book ten years ago, I'd have been like, right, yeah, right, you know. 
I just would have thought that. But in searching and always feeling like, okay, what's next? God put us together, man. And I truly believe that because nobody could have conveyed my message to the world the way Rick did. And, you know, I'm going to always be grateful for that. And, you know, the book's getting good reviews, not just because of the it's a good story, but because of the way the story was told. And I think if I would have went with anybody else, it would have been a decent story, but it wouldn't have been something that you can't put down. And that's what I keep hearing over and over and over again. I mean, I started it and I don't even read, but I read it in two days. So. Yeah, that's a high compliment. And, and Rick is an excellent writer. And, you know, I thought from day one, I'm biased, but I thought Rick was the perfect person to write your book be, um, what else is there for you to do? Be grant, you know, again, your work with Parkinson's is, is so important. And, you know, I know you and I have gone and seen Michael J. Fox and we've seen what he's doing. I think you've chosen a great lane yourself. Your foundation isn't necessarily looking for the cure. You're looking to assist people who are living with Parkinson's every day, like you are. And, and how do you eat and how do you exercise? How do you tell your kids if you're diagnosed with Parkinson's? What's ahead for you? Well, first of all, let's just say that this is a funny camera angle coming from the bottom up that kind of makes the neck look swollen. <laughs> and I did pick up the COVID-20, 25. So I just want to clear the air on that real quick. I, you know, nutrition and exercise, definitely. But no, on a serious note, you know, our foundation, people think that our foundation is much larger than it is. And it's really a small foundation. Katrina and two other workers and then myself being a part of that. But it's the information we put out and the way that we put it out, it, it allows me to still be very personal, personable with, with people that we help. And I, I think that's the route that we're going to continue to go. I don't think this foundation will end up being a, a, a huge foundation like Michael J. Fox's. He had that outreach. He, he had that with me ever since I saw Back to the Future and Frighteners and all that. I mean, I'm such a big Michael J. Fox fan. Ali was a world-class athlete. I think I have my place, and I don't think it's really to be on that large of a stage, but the area that I'm in, you know, we'll continue to do the best work that we can to help the Parkinson's community until we can't do it anymore. Rick, now that the book's out, what are you hearing from people again about, you know, Brian's not on the Muhammad Ali or the Michael J. Fox level, but there's a lot of people he's inspiring with this book. Not only the, the courage to tell his entire story, but also the fact that he's battling Parkinson's. What do you, what kind of feedback are you getting? Well, it was surprising to me how many people weren't fully aware of his story, mm. weren't completely aware that uh, that he was uh, fighting Parkinson's or that he had uh, contracted uh, young young onset Parkinson's. Um, I think they just remember the Rasta monster, and so uh, people are touched by the fact that they've learned all that he's doing, and you know, it's it, he's just in such a I, I always sense this, you know, generally, if you're going to do a book about some, you know, an NBA player or a, a professional athlete, it's, 
they're a hall of famer or they're, you know, they've accomplished some like accolade in their sport. That is the, the crux of why you write a book about them. And Brian, not to say that Brian didn't accomplish a lot in his career, but what makes him unique is how fans connected to him, how they revered the way he went about his job, what he represented to them as this hardworking, uh, humble, but fierce competitor, um, you know, never wanting to turn down a, a challenge. And, uh, and so you juxtapose that with someone uh, who, and I think they also learned all of the things that Brian was doing uh, to help uh, those in need, kids with terminal diseases, et cetera, uh, before he had Parkinson's. Like that, that, that big heart was already there. Um, and, and in some ways, Parkinson's just unleashed it in a, in a new and different way. And that's, that's what I'm hearing from people as they, they read and learn about his story is that, um, you know, they had one image of, of Brian that they certainly respected and admired, but getting the full scope of him uh, the travails, the mis- like all of it actually gives them a deeper respect uh, and admiration for who he is. And I, I think that ultimately that was what BG was after in writing the book. Like, if you're going to cheer for me, I want you to know all of me. Not because I necessarily think you're going to think more of me. <laughs> you may think less, but I'm going to put that on the table and let you make your decision. And uh, and and it appears to me as if you know people have gained a greater respect, even seeing how uh, human uh, he he has been at times. BG, what was the hardest part of your story to tell? I thought really that it was going to be my struggles with addiction, but it was really reliving all the negative bad stuff that I put Gina through you know that as I told the story I mean I couldn't hide it from Rick he could just tell my voice would always change and finally when we're getting towards uh the end of the project he just said man you know what I see this as being one big thing that you've always had you've always had pinned up and you're letting it out and and Berger I think you said that you know, this is opening the door to have one final conversation with Gina to, to tell my truth and to, you know, ask for whatever forgiveness I need so that I can really truly move on in life. And, and so I, I think that was, that was one of the toughest parts to, uh, to talk about, you know, addiction is addiction, alcoholism. A lot of people that have that gene or allergy or sickness, and yeah, I was thinking more or less, I was scared to talk about that because I was scared that people wouldn't like me anymore. But after I got over that, it, it was, it was, it was easy to put down on paper, but the stuff about Gina was definitely the toughest. And Gina is your ex-wife. You have four children with her. Rick, would you agree that that was one of the 
parts of the book that maybe going into it, you didn't think that was going to be a, a main theme, but coming out of it, you were like, wow, this is, this is big. Yeah, no, I, I, I had no expectation that that was going to be uh, as relevant or integral to the book as it turned out to be. I said to my wife at one point, I, after I asked her to read one of the first drafts, I said, you know what this is? You know what this really is? This is a love story. This is, this is, I mean, in essence, it was the dream because as the book says, you know, Brian dreamed of one day of getting out of, like, out of Georgetown and meeting that girl, listening to the, st- the song um, West End Girls by the Pets. West End Girls. Yeah. Right? Yeah. And well, my sports, I think I was 14. Yeah. 15. And, and so to have that dream come true and then to feel as if you ruined what you were handed, um, like, Coming to terms with that, finding some resolution, uh, that that and and that just you know that that feeling like I found the one and 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 I let that one go or I lost that one. I mean that I just that ended up being I think at least maybe not the thread. I could even make the case the thread that if you look at Brian's story, it, it ties it all together. Yeah. I mean, look, I've known Gina a long time too, and I have a lot of respect for her. She's a great mom. She's a good woman. And I've told BG this on our walks. Like I hope at some point they're able to have a conversation and, and mend that fence because I think they're both good people. There were just things that happened that, you know, sometimes you're only in life with someone for one season you know, yeah. or a few seasons, you're not in life with them for the entire season. And I, I feel like Brian and Gina were in a few seasons together, but it wasn't meant to be that they were together for their whole life, but it doesn't make either one of them a bad person. Right. So that, to be and Brian, I'm, BJ, I'd love to get your, your view of this, but um, like, I also believe that nothing happens by accident and that you know, everything that happens in our life is, is, a, is something we're supposed to learn from to take us to the next step or it's motivation to fully appreciate what we have. The things that go away are, are to allow us to appreciate what we, what we have. And, um, and what I've also come to believe is that like, I, I can't necessarily uh, make a relationship the way I want it to be but I can come to terms with finding peace with how that relationship is. And that's what I felt with, with, with BG and in telling this story, it was like, um, you know what, however Jean is going to feel about what's happened and what's done, you know, gone on and what her part was in it, like no control over that. Like there's no way of, of, of changing her or fixing that or doing any of that. But like, I felt like BG had to come to terms with where he was and what happened then and understanding it and accepting it and believing that at the end of the day, it was for the best that things happened exactly the way they did. Like who's to say that 
you know, that that the way that relationship went wasn't the inspiration to make sure that his family and his kids were together the way they are and to be the father that he is. And like that, that motivation to be that person in their lives didn't come from the relationship ultimately not being the way it was with, with Gina. Um, you know, I just, I believe there's a way of finding the good out of uh, anything that happens, even if it looks like it's something that we initially look at as bad. BG, uh, a few, few more minutes, but yeah, respond to what Rick just said. And, you know, I think you're an incredible dad and, you know, you're so involved in each one of your kids' lives and maybe Rick's right. Maybe that doesn't happen if you were in, the normal structure of a family, maybe it's happened a little bit more because of the the fact that you and Gina aren't together anymore. And I think you're absolutely right. If I, if I look back in the past and I say to myself, what kind of father was I when I played? I was the best that I could be at that time, but I was always having to worry about the next guy coming in, taking my job, the next season coming up, where are we going to live? What are we going to do? Who do I got to play? Who do I got to guard? That kind of stuff. And a lot of times, when I was there, I really wasn't there. You know, it's like I'm sitting here looking at my two little boys, Brian and Maxwell, playing with Jaden, who is about to be 23. And it's, it's sad a little bit because I looked at Jaden and I said, you're not getting everything that these kids are getting right now. They get my full-on attention, and when I'm with them, I'm with them. You know, Gina made that all right back then, and she was always making it all right. And if we would have had a convince, you know, if our marriage would have stuck, maybe I retire and now I'm doing something else that takes away t- my time from them as young adults. And, and now I don't have that relationship. You're, you're absolutely right. I mean, sometimes you got to lose something to gain a whole, to gain a little bit or a whole lot. And, you know, I hated losing Gina, but I understood. And I, I think through this whole process, I've been able to really look at myself and say, you know, it takes two, but the only side that you have control of is your side of the street. And I think that's, you know, very key in my life lately. Rick, last question for you. When people read Rebound, what do you want them to take away from the story? I'd say that we, we all have our own personal struggles that are unique and they, they come in different packages and our paths and and what the travails that we have to survive in order to get to where we're going are are all very different but that there's something at the heart of it uh at the heart of them all that are the same and that you know you look at this 6 foot 9 inch dreaded black man with parkinsons and you think well, what what the what do i have in common with him and if you hear his story you have a lot people have a lot in common with Brian and, and I think it's inspirational for me. Um, I can tell you without a shadow, um, it is inspirational to me to see what he's walked through and how he he's handling it and how he continues to handle it. Uh, and, and having had a very up close view of the dark days, (laughs) the days the days couldn't get a hold of him. The days where I was very fearful of of um, his state of mind, and um, and yet to see him persevere, persevere 
and still be the jokester that he is every freaking time we talk or we see each other. Like there's always, there's always a zinger coming from BG, whether it's for me or one of my kids or whatever it is. And, uh, you know, I can just say, um, I love you, brother. Yeah. I mean, I, I told someone the other day, Rick, I've said I love you to my friends more in the last year since COVID started than I've ever said in my entire life. And, you know, we started this interview. I, I said, you guys are like brothers to me. I love both of you guys. I'll say that here to my my audience. And, and you know, I'm closer to BG because we live right down the street from each other. I don't see Rick as much, but man, I would do anything in the world for you guys. And it's so great for me to see you guys work together on this project. It's so great for Brian's story to get out. I mean, I don't know if Brian realizes or not, but like, you know, B, we sit here and we worry about you. We see the Parkinson's take your body more and more every day. And, you know, it was so important to me because I think you have such a great story and you have an amazing legacy that you can leave. I wanted your story to be told. And again, I thought Rick was a perfect person to tell your story. So, you know, I wasn't directly involved in this. You guys did a lot more work on this project than I did, but in a, in a little small way, I'm so glad that your story's out there and that it's out there forever and that generations, whether it's your kids or their kids' kids, they will know the Brian Grant story. And I think that's a, a win for all of us. Well, Brian, don't downplay your part in this. This book doesn't happen if you 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 made it happen. I mean, you brought us together and you, yeah, uh, you certainly, uh, I, I know we're after BG in, in a variety of ways to, to stay on it and to make it happen. So um, don't, don't discount your part in this for sure. Well, like I said, I'm just glad the story is out there. And, and, you know, I think it's a great story. And, and a lot of people, whether they know Brian through Parkinson's or they were a fan of his play in the NBA or they know him from growing up, I think people are going to benefit from this story. So be all end with this. What do you want people to take away from your book? You know, some people may be inspired, some may not be, and that's okay. Whether you like the book or you absolutely hate it, I just hope that you come away from it saying, you know what? I really don't like that guy. I don't like his story, but damn, it was real. It was real. And I, I, I take my hat off to him and Rick Buecher for putting a real story out there instead of putting a fluffy, cozy, comfortable story that, you know, we can just, you know, it came with the, with the mallet, the hammer and, and put it down. And if you want to jump on board, cool. If you don't like it, that's okay too, but it was real. Rebound, soaring in the NBA, battling Parkinson's and finding what really matters. It can be purchased on Amazon.com or at bookstores everywhere. Brian Grant, Rick Buecher, love you guys. Great job with the book. Thanks so much for joining me on Sports Business Radio. Thanks, fellas. Thanks, Berger. Love both of you guys, man. You're listening to Sports Business Radio. We'll be right back. Hey, everyone. Sports Business Radio host Brian Berger here. The wait is finally over. Sports Business Radio merchandise has finally arrived. We're working with our friends at the Parish Project to provide you with the opportunity to buy really quality Sports Business Radio merchandise. We've started with long sleeve t-shirts and short sleeve t-shirts. They come in five different colors each. 
a variety of sizes. I love my shirts. And soon, we're going to have hoodies to offer as well, hooded sweatshirts. I know a lot of you are wearing hooded sweatshirts while you're working from home these days, but whether you're working out, just lounging around the house, or doing whatever you're doing, you can rock Sports Business Radio merchandise. I think you're going to love it. Go to parishproject.com. That's P-A-R-I-S-H project.com. Parishproject.com. And you can order your Sports Business Radio merchandise today. We appreciate your support. And uh, send us your best picture. Tweet it to us at SB Radio. Or also you can get us on Instagram at Sports Business Radio. We look forward to seeing you rocking that Sports Business Radio merchandise. Well, that's it for this edition of Sports Business Radio. Thanks for tuning in. Thanks to our show staff, Brian Griggs and Josh Blank. And thanks to our partner, Molka Sports, for powering Sports Business Radio. Learn more about them online at molkasports.com. That's M-A-L-K-A sports.com. For Brian Griggs, I'm Brian Berger. Have a great week, and we'll talk to you soon right here on Sports Business Radio. This and every SBR podcast is available on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Stitcher, and your favorite listening app. Follow Sports Business Radio on Facebook, Twitter at SB Radio, Instagram at Sports Business Radio, and online at sportsbusinessradio.com. Sports Business Radio is produced by Brian Griggs and Griggs Productions. GriggsProductions.com.